and welcome to the Hairdryer Treatment Podcast. This week, VAR controversy, pay-per-view football and the latest round of Premier League fixtures are on the docket as we return from another unscheduled week off. Sorry about that. I'm your host and resident Jordy Kieran and today I'm joined by a Chelsea and Rangers fan, Luke. Chelsea! A Liverpool fan, Andy. Hello. And Partick Thistle supporter, Steve. Hello. We're not going to be doing the quiz today, uh, just because we missed a week, so we have got plenty to catch up with. So we are just going to jump straight into the football. Topic one is VAR misuse. Um, another weekend, another VAR controversy. This time, Patrick Bamford saw a goal controversially ruled out against Crystal Palace as the video official declared his armpit to have been offside as he pointed to where he wanted the ball to be passed. <laughs> as well as that, there were two penalty incidents at the Etihad with many people saying that neither of them should have been awarded despite them both having been. Starting off, um, the new incidents that we saw this weekend. Luke, is there any justifying the officials overturning that Bamford goal? I, honestly, it, it's it's a symptom of why VAR has just gone crazy. I, you know, there has to be some sort of common sense at some point, but clearly that's lacking. Um, I'm not sure who is actually supervising it, but whoever it is wants to go and give them a bit of a slap and just tell them that, you know, come on, lads, sort yourself out here. That, that was ridiculous. I felt really, really sorry for Leeds, actually, and I felt sorry for Bamford because, actually, he had a good game again. And much yeah. as again, I hate seeing it, but he actually has played quite well. And uh, it's really unfortunate for him. What can you say? Yeah, it was a bit of a stinker, really, wasn't it? Andy, it really was. Andy, this was your topic this week. Um, yeah. What did you have to say on that incident, mate? Yeah, it, again, it goes to the same point we were saying before. That it's just, for me, it's not so much VR, it's, it's how it's being used. I think. I think it being as good, but I think it's just being used completely wrong. And I think they use it in the Bundesliga, and there seems to be no complaints in Germany about VAR. It only seems to be the Premier League that is the issue. Um, and I think that that being a Bamford goal is probably the worst I've seen so far of all the VAR decisions. Mm. I think that is for me the worst because, again, it, we've had the same thing in the previous VAR decisions where why is someone's hand or arm being deemed offside when if they scored it, it'd be offside, it'd be deemed handball anyway. So for me, I just I do not get at all why that was disallowed. I think it's it, it needs working on. We we're saying the same thing every week now. We're saying the same thing that it, it needs working on, but no one seems to be actually doing this. Um, and I think certainly that that Pan, that Bamford goal was for me the worst I've seen. It's just I just don't get how at all they've looked at that and gone wait that's offside. I just don't get how someone someone's done that and someone's looked at it and, and thought it was offside. So yeah, that was me. That was me with, with a shocking decision. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned um, the Bundesliga as well. And I think you did a couple of weeks ago when we spoke about this as well. But um, I think there's something of a misconception that there's no issues with VAR in Germany. Uh, I am a avid Bundesliga watcher, viewer, fan. Um, and whilst it definitely, certainly doesn't happen anywhere near as much as it does here, there is if by no means no VAR controversy in Germany. We like they are there is plenty. Like every mm. every now and then we do have incidents over there where stuff happens. Where the same things that we get here, uh, the referees just misuse it or do or use it wrong. Um, so it's by no means a complete sort of perfect system over there. So I think it's about time we start looking at the issue as just being VAR rather than the Premier League's use of VAR. It happened in France at the weekend as well, actually. There was a game in France that I watched and um, 
I can't remember who it was, Lille against someone else and, and a penalty got ruled out for BL and it was very similar, but uh, but actually they ended up reaching the right decision. So it, it, it's just the decisions more than anything. It's not necessarily the process, but the decisions are just mental and I don't get it. What, what I don't get is that, um, obviously, when, when you watched the World Cup in Russia two years ago, I remember there was obviously a bit of controversy with it then. I remember it improved. I don't remember it being mm-hmm. as many bad decisions as that. I remember I never I never remember there being a goal ruled out in the World Cup where someone's armpit was offside. I don't remember anything like that happening in the World Cup. Mm-hmm. So I don't know why it's decided to creep in since, really, because VAR seemed to work for me towards the end of the World Cup. I think the final's a bit iffy, but I think overall, I think it did improve as the tournament went on. And I think we all thought then after that, okay, it's fine, we'll... Um, use it in the Premier League now, but it just seems to be used completely wrong. And you're saying Germany, but also England. It just seems to be completely misused by, by the officials. Mm-hmm. I, I think there was problems, like, uh, if I remember, there were problems with VAR at the World Cup as well. Like, obviously, there's the first real time we'd seen it rolled out. Um, I remember a, a Antoine Griezmann penalty, um, I'm sure, um, which was a little bit controversial. Uh, earlier in the tournament as well, there was a, there was a few controversial moments but obviously certainly nowhere near as much as we're saying in term in the Premier League at least in terms of offside Steve I think one of that's one of the big issues that everyone has with it in terms of um, the the small really minor margins and the lack of clarity within the rule itself I think Patrick Bamford um, said in his post-match interview this weekend that after the game or after half time as the players were on the pitch he asked the referee why his arm was um, why his goal was ruled out, and the referee was I don't know. The referee said I don't know. I think it was your arm or something like that. Like that, so it kind of shows that even the referees don't really know the rules. Mm. So, in terms of that offside rule, Steve, what can we do to change it, and what can we do to make those rules a bit more transparent? I think what Bamford said there is a, a perfect example of what <clears throat> what the problem is with VAR. Um, if the referee is saying or I think it was your arm. What we're getting there is confirmation that this decision isn't being made on the pitch. The referee's going to look at the problem, look at the, the decision, but actually he's already been told in his headset from uh, from the central office, that's a penalty. Right? I don't think so they get to look at those ones. I don't think the, the, the referee gets to actually go to the monitor and have a look at offside decisions, do they? See, that, that would make it even worse. There's no, so you're telling me there's no control whatsoever over what happens on the pitch from the three officials at the pitch. Why do you have three officials on the pitch? Why don't you mm. simply let things run and then when the ball goes out of play, review everything that happened with VAR and say, actually, that was a foul, that was a foul, that was a foul. I mean, there, there were some really ridiculous examples over the weekend. You were talking there about Germany. I noticed that Lewandowski's last goal for, for Munich was chopped off by VAR and it took like three or four minutes to, to give the decision. There was two. Um, there was, he had two of those in the game. It, it, it just, you know... The biggest problem with VAR at the moment is that the referees don't know how to use it. They see a slowed down version of everything, every incident. Um, and then they're, they're asked to make a decision based on that. Not real time, which you know is the whole point of having a referee there, is to give the decisions. And mm. VAR should be used to overturn anything when it is clear, absolutely clear. right? So when someone steps inside, gets fouled, yeah, fine penalty. Um mm-hmm. Well, like you say, when someone, and the thing with Bamford was, he was actually, if you look at the, the line, the rest of his body was a good two feet behind the defender that was playing on one side. And yeah. it's literally just the fact that he's pointed that's put his arm offside. Now, that's that's not even a common sense thing. That's 
that shows that the problem with VR is that it's being interpreted literally. Okay, they're, they're not They're trying to make the game um, as controversial as possible, mm. so more people talk about it. Right. Um, defensively, this is why we're seeing so many more penalties because they want more goals, more goals are more entertaining, more people will watch the games, more people will watch the highlights. You can sell more adverts. Um, but the offside decisions and, and such are, it, it's just, it's daft now. It, it's slowly but surely killing interest in the Premier League from the other leagues in the world. You, you're right, there might be some controversy over, over in Germany but you don't see it mentioned on the front pages of international sports page, mm -hmm. um, newspapers. You don't see it on La Marca. Um, mm -hmm. you, know, you don't see it in Italy. In, in What's the Italian um, press print? Oh, yeah. 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 You, you don't see it mentioned there because you don't get that same level of problem in Italy either. And it, it's simply, it's down to how it's interpreted um, at, you know, in, in the office by the guys in the monitors. And I don't think at this point the referees have any control at all of what's going on on their own pitch. You know, linesmen we discussed last week are completely obsolete. There's no point in having them there. You know, mm -hmm. if they if they don't see something, don't worry about it. It'll be caught on VAR. So you know, I'd, I'd have like one referee running up and down, and basically his only job is to say go kick, go kick, because he's pointless right now. That's yeah. pretty much his job, but that, that's basically it. The the tool with offside decisions that they can't raise their flag until the play stops, and then it can be reviewed. That's a right? bunch of nonsense as well, by the way. So that, it is. That, that's pointless. Um, the the uh -huh. thing with penalties is you can have a, a situation where the, the game goes on for a good two, three minutes before it gets rolled back for a penalty. Now, I think it was the West Ham game um, where Fulham got the penalty. Oh, no, sorry. Yeah, it was. And the, it was... Um, I can't remember what it was. Somewhere I'd, I'd cut inside, been fouled, in, in my opinion, been fouled, and then the ball had been cleared away they got up the other end of the park and there was another foul in the penalty area, which they gave a penalty for. So they didn't go back to review the original one, which should have been a penalty. They gave the penalty at the other end because it was a second foul. Now that ball shouldn't have been live in the first place. Because yeah, it was but a that penalty is, at the other end. That is a misuse of the rule. The rule is that the first foul takes precedence. So, yes. if, they, so if they think that, they, that the first one was a penalty... Uh, if they deem that to be a reviewable cause, then they will review that one first and then the second one. Yeah. Um, Which, again, shows that the referee is not making the decision here. Literally, anything that happens in there, the referee now has carte blanche to go, well, you know, it's not my call. Um, when the ball goes out of play, when the ball goes dead, we'll have someone review it in the office and tell me what, what decision I need to make. Mm -hmm. So, again, why have you got a referee? You don't need linesmen. Why do you need referees? The VAR is making these decisions. The referee's sole job now is to tell everybody what be, what the decision is being made in the head office is. Yeah, I think the, the big thing is, um, obviously we've spoken about it a bit before as well, and yeah, Luke, you guys mentioned the, the thing with the referees and the linesmen, especially having to keep their flags down if they believe it's too close to call, and then VAR will look at it. I think mm. that essentially makes linesmen pointless. Like, the totally. fact that they can't do that, I, I actually believe that, that. I know you guys don't, but I actually believe that that's the right thing to do because um, there's, if you don't do that, then you're going to see a lot of goals, a lot of like, opportunities wherein the linesman gets it wrong. Um, and if the linesman hadn't have gone it wrong, then the player would have been through on goal and, and is denied a clear chance to score a goal. So but I that's do part think... Of the magic of the game, though, isn't it? Don't you think? Well, if that's the case, then just get... If that's part of the magic of the game, then what's the point of having VAR at all? 
kind of is. It's, it's like the talking points, though, isn't it? Like the oh, you know, he was offside, and oh, you know, or he was never offside, and you know, when you're down at the pub with your mates and stuff like that. If like you're ever allowed to go to the pubs again, <laughs> the you know, that's another story. But. The whole controversy issue was something that was brought up when VAR was first mm-hmm. introduced. And it's like, oh, you're, you're getting rid of that controversy issue. And in fact, actually, mm-hmm. what it's led to is even more controversy. Um, I think it has. Yeah. But I think, I don't know, I, it's an interesting situation. Um, Andy, on the offside rule as a whole, um, do you think something that could be used to help the offside rule and the referees deal with the offside rule with VAR and also go with what Steve was saying about the Premier League wanting more goals to equal a better prop like package. And I think we've spoken about this before, but maybe changing the rule so that your entire body has to be offside rather than just um, some of it. So like in changing the rule now, where, in case, where the rule is obviously at the moment where if any part of your body is offside that you can score a goal with, that is, um, which is another reason why the referee's got that Bamford rule, uh, ruling wrong, um, is offside, then you're offside. But change the rule so that if any part of your body is in line with the last defender, then you're onside. Do you think that would be better? Yeah, I, I think certainly um, that certainly will, will help things. And I think, although, would that, would that then mean that if it was any part of the body in line with the defender, would that mean... People were having just some discussions about was he in line, was he not in line. Uh, but I certainly think that it, it certainly is a better idea because I think um, someone to have, I mean, what we've seen so far this season, some of the decisions, I mean, they're such nitpicky little things that sometimes aren't even offside in the first place. So if they could just, I mean, that, that um, going back to that Henson goal, I mean, we've seen it a few times with other teams as well, but very minuscule offside, if even offside in the first place. So if they remove that completely and they, and they start introducing things such as the entire body, I think that would definitely that would we for me work. Um, yeah, I think certainly. I mean, I don't know whether it should be the whole body. Maybe it should just be anything with your leg, or or rather than just your your arms. But is that not just um, complicated? Yeah. Is that not even more complicated though? Yeah, that's that's the problem. I, I still think they should just kept that as it was ten years ago and kept that as it was. I don't see why they even changed it in the first place. I mean, we all probably should blame ourselves because we all called the VAR back in the day. We all called for technology, and look what's happened. Um, and also your point about the fact that it is making more talker points than it was before, and that's what it's brought in to do. And it is still someone's opinion. It's not that's not changed either. It's still going to be someone's opinion. So I, I do. It's it's not black and white like we see rugby and tennis and NFL. Mm-hmm. It is more someone's opinion. Um, so yeah, I think certainly. I think that could. I, but yeah, going back to your point there, I think yeah, I think the entire body me can work and I think maybe that should be definitely tested in the lower leagues or tested in maybe the League Cup or FA Cup to see how it works mm-hmm. Steve? Yeah I mean one of the things that they still haven't sorted out is the handball wall. Um, we, we still see and this is, this is going back to the whole point of introducing VAR for penalties was to remove inconsistent refereeing but we still have situations where three yards out Players are driving the ball, and I said this at the start of the season, this was going to happen. Players are driving the ball at defenders, right, who have absolutely no chance to react or get out of the way, and it's hitting them, and they're getting penalties for it. We saw another one example uh, at the weekend. Uh, De Bruyne's cross hit Joe Gomez. I mean, Joe, Joe Gomez had no chance of getting out of the way. That, that's hit at him at real pace, right? Um, and then we had other examples of players, um, players are jumping up with their arms crossed, Right in front of their body, and they're still getting penalties awarded against them because they're saying the arms are in a natural position. We can't. We th- there is no way you can jump for a ball 
with your arms completely by your sides. If you're going to let uh, attacking players jump with their arms and defenders not jump with their arms, what you're going to see is a barrage of headed goals. Um, and it's not fair. You, you, you're, you're handicapping defenders now. You're preventing them from defending. Uh, I know we saw a few years ago there was a, a, a discussion. I think um, Keane and Carragher both had the, the, felt that the way refereeing was going, it was, um, it was preventing people from tackling. It was preventing defenders from getting physical with attackers. Um, and the, the reason the, the league doesn't want to see that is because if you can let the attacker run, you can get past the defender, you can get more goals, easier to sell advertising, easier to build the league. Um, that's why offside was changed. Remember when, when we had the whole, you're only offside if you're active? Mm-hmm. So, well, so what it led to was players having free kicks and players standing 10 feet offside and then running back onside as the ball was played. And it, it just, the, the whole, the, the league and, and UEFA and, and are to blame for this, they're trying to make the game faster with more goals, more attractive to, to advertisers. And what we're doing now in the Premier League is we're screwing that up. We're, we're actually in a stage now where clubs are, COVID has not helped. They're not earning any money. Um, we, they just, teams, teams don't know how to defend. We're seeing more and more teams now playing like 3-4-3 three, three, or, or very, very attacking mm-hmm. formations because what's the point in defending? You know, Leeds have scored, yeah. what, four goals multiple times a season because there's no point in, in putting out a full thing of defenders, even mm-hmm. if you're up against a team like, uh, you know, Man U or Liverpool or anything else. You're better off just going mm-hmm. out there and, and trying to score as many as you can, knowing that if there's any kind of controversial decision, it will go in your favour as an attacker. Yeah, I think you are seeing a lot of that. You're seeing a lot more of the what we've referred to in the past as the Keegan teams. Like you say, Leeds have scored 14, conceded 17 through eight games this season. That's quite a lot. But um, in terms of you mentioning like that, the Premier League and the, the, the powers that be are attempting to make the game quicker and make the so that there's more goals. Is that not what we want? Generally, what, what advertisers want, they want long highlight programmes showing 25, 30 goals a week. But is they that not what we as fans want, though? Because that's what well, I want. We, we as fans want to see our teams win. And we as fans want to see exciting football from our teams. Right, now, regardless of your own team, just from the Premier, take your own team out of the equation. Yeah. Just as a Premier League fan, is seeing more goals every week, not just what you want to see. Is that not what you want to see? More entertaining games. I'd, ra- I'd certainly rather watch three, four, four games a week than five nil nils and a, and a one nil. You know Definitely. what I mean? Yeah, but if, if if you're going to do that, you might as well just call it attack versus defense, play five versus five. Just, just you know. You can't cross the halfway Don't line. Turn it into like an indoor six-a-side tournament. You know, you, obviously you there's, there's an extent. Years, there's a, there's a limit. 150 years of tradition, just so you can get more goals and sell more, sell the product to advertisers. That's Wait, just. You say that, but when football first started, the goals were like there were a hell of a lot more goals because teams played with two defenders. Like in the early going and stuff, like the teams would only regularly line up with two defenders. So you were, would regularly see games that were 12 and 13 goals. Yeah, like, but that's also because in the early days, what you could do is pump a ball into the box and as the goalkeeper came for it, you could kick the goalkeeper. So he fell over and then knocked the ball <laughs> in the net. There were zero protections for goalkeepers up until about the 1980s. That's called the Scottish <laughs> method. <laughs> 
Well, the point being, it's it's like it's not it's not tradition from the very beginning for games in England or anywhere else for that matter to be low scoring affairs. That didn't really start until the sixties and seventies when you started getting more defensive managers. That mostly came from the continent, I believe. So, um, like, it's not so realistically the tradition in England, especially. Is goals uh, is goals and games that have a lot of goals. That's where that's how football started here, and that's how football became the massive popular sport that it is because there was a lot of goals in in, in every game, pretty much. So let's change the rules then. Let's say that you can't play more than three defenders in a team. I mean, if we're going to go down the route of we desperately want more goals, which is what the FA and and UEFA keep doing with with all these changes to rules. Have you noticed almost all of their changes to rules that have happened in the last five years are designed to benefit attacking players. Right. Yeah. There's, there's never anything you know, to, to give the defender the benefit of the doubt in a 50-50. You know, and referees are instructed to say, you know, if it's a 50-50, you give the benefit of the doubt to the attacking player. You know, it's not, you're not making it fair on defensive players. No. And well, the key word here is fair. And this, this is what the, the, the league is losing through VAR. There's no indication that the decisions are fair anymore. I, 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 I'm... I don't think, like on a personal matter, obviously, I like for this whole whole conversation, I'm just really playing devil's advocate. But in no way do I actually think that people want to see a game where it's essentially we just get cricket scores in every game. I think that is there's a limit to yes, we want more goals, but there's, there's a limit. There's there is a level um, to it. Yes, I think everyone wants us to see more goals. Nobody enjoys mm-hmm. watching Burnley versus Brighton on a Friday tea time, nil nil. You know what I mean? Nobody wants that. Like that's not what people want to see, but seeing a three-two or a four-three here and there, mm-hmm. that is. No, as, as a neutral, you don't want to see that. But if you're a Burnley fan and you've been watching that for the last five years, <laughs> that's exactly what you want to see. You want to see your team grind out a point. You want to see them stay up. Mm-hmm. They're a very limited team. In fact, as a Newcastle fan, you sat through Benitez matches where that was the entire game plan was to grind out a nil-nil or a one-nil. Mm-hmm. But that kind of tactical approach um, has been, you know. And nobody enjoys that. Nobody enjoys seeing their team do that. Like as a Newcastle fan, I did not enjoy Benitez doing it, and I'm not enjoying Bruce doing it because Bruce can't do it for a start. Um, Bruce's teams are actually more attacking than Benitez's, is, from what I've seen as a neutral. They are, well, they are, but like Benitez's entire philosophy is defence and grinding out results in a, like a Mourinho-style fashion, like what you were saying. It's not enjoyable to watch. Yes, it's effective um, when Benitez does it at least, but. It's not enjoyable to watch. We didn't. We as fans didn't actually enjoy that, but it was effective for us, and we were winning games by doing it. Hence, why we just sort of went, okay, fair enough. We're winning at least. Um, but from a neutral perspective, with neutral games, people didn't enjoy watching our games. Like neutral fans didn't enjoy watching our games because they knew that that's what it was going to be. It was just going to be attack versus defense. As Newcastle attempted to grind out a one nil win or a nil nil, nobody wants that. Nobody wants to see that. Andy, I think I think it's all about moderation. I think um, I don't think you'd want a four-four every week. I think after a while, people maybe will get. Yeah. I think you've got to Definitely. have mixed off. Obviously, I think when you see the likes of these, like Liverpool Arsenal four-four, Newcastle Liverpool four-three, um, all these other games like six-one Spurs, all these games in the past that have been high scoring. That's because they're not every week. They're like it's very rare. You see, you probably see it once, twice a year. These really thrilling games like that. Mm. I think if you had that every week, I think it would it would be. I think people would get sick of it. I think you gotta have. I think you can't. I think you gotta have. You gotta have in moderation. You've gotta have some games where you win one nil, and the next game you win four three. I think it's just you can't have too much of one or the other. I think 
uh, yes, I think certainly, um, yeah. It, it's a weird situation. I guess it's all just, you know, in that regard, come down to personal preference. But um, Luke, on this situation, the last question we'll have on this situation, because we've been talking mm-hmm. about it for quite a while now. Sure. Are the, in terms of everything we've been talking about, about getting more goals and things like that, if that's mm. where if that's where the lawmakers really want to take the game, then does it not make more sense to just completely remove VAR from the equation? Yes, I mean, you know, they might as well if they want to make it a free flowing dynamic game. Then you know, remove VAR, remove the offside rule, make it a totally open game, and just no, go I don't, it, not, you know? not go that and, far. And, and like, you know, like no, don't it, remove, but, you know. Don't remove the offside rule. That's not what I'm saying. But in terms of VAR, mm-hmm. like just from a VAR standpoint, is that not what we need? Is that not what, what is, does that not make more sense? That makes the games faster, yeah. makes them more free flowing, and you get you will likely get more goals that way. Is that not what is probably probably because VAR at the moment is is having a negative effect in the game, both in terms of decisions and, and also disrupting the flow of the game as well. Um, so, so you know, there, there is certainly a strong argument for saying VAR isn't really conducive to an exciting game, you know, because nobody really enjoys sitting waiting for two minutes for the referee to go and check something that's pretty obviously not a penalty, yeah. for example. Um, you know, you, you know, and that, that's just one example. There's, there's loads of them that you can think of, you know, during the, the, the course of a game where you think, oh, come on, really? You know, and, and it's not exciting for the crowd either. You know, sitting waiting on VAR checking penalty. Like, come on, away you go. Let's go into the game. Come on. <laughs> All right, guys. Um, I will do one more, one last thing on this. Each of you will get 30 seconds to tell me what changes the lawmakers can make to make VAR either work or to get football to a point where there's less controversy or where we're not we're not sitting around a table complaining about it every week like about about things like this about VAR every week like what changes can the lawmakers make 30 seconds each Steve um, VAR should be used for decisions in a penalty box where there's a foul um, it shouldn't be used for handballs where the body is where the arms are not above the shoulders um, it should be used for goal line decisions take it away completely from offside that's the whole point of having linesmen. Um, oh, and, and have the replays done at the stadium, not have them from a central office where they're giving a decision to the referee. Because by the sounds of it, referees are being told what to say rather than making those mm. independent decisions. Mm. Andy? Simply scrap VAR and everyone should sit down and watch Premier League years on Sky from 10 years ago, see how games are done, and just just use that as the rules. Change all the rules to how they were ten years ago. Because for me, that was when football was at its best ten years ago. So I think just they should sit all sit in the room together, all get some lunch together, have some nachos, watch Premier League years from ten years ago, and just see how it's done. All right, one vote for evolution, one vote for reset. Luke, uh, if it was me, I would make sure the referee was in control of VAR. So actually make it a true assistant so the referee can trigger it any time and, and, and get them to take a look, but, but not have VAR overruling the referee. I think that's where the big problem is. So, so essentially, it should be treated as an assistant, the same as you have uh, an assistant referee in the sidelines. And, and for me, that's the key thing. I think if you did that, then you would find the, the game would flow an awful lot better and the referee would use it in the right way. Uh, for example, if they, if they thought it was a penalty but they wanted to take another quick look at it, they could do um, you know, or, or contentious red cards or serious low play, for example. 
and and again that that's exactly what I would do. I probably wouldn't use it. Uh, you you know I wouldn't allow it to be overruling things. I think that's where the big problem is. Yeah, I think if I had to pick one change, my change would be that they should go the way of the A League and the way that rugby union do it wherein if you are going to use a video assistant referee then fans both in the grounds and at home need to be able to hear the conversation that takes place between them um i think that would lead to a lot more clarity and i think it would be a lot less controversial or maybe not less controversial but a lot more favorable that way um i've seen a few clips from the a league where it's happening um and you hear the referee and the video assistant referee chat between themselves about whether it should be a penalty or not or a red card or not and it just it just works better so that would be my one change all right moving on to our second topic of the day which is pay-per-view uh we've spoken about this at length numerous occasions on numerous occasions um but after tons of negative feedback premier league chief executive dick masters today told the dcms committee that the premier league will be moving away from pay-per-view scheme Thank the Lord. He told MPs, we have listened to feedback. We will be changing direction and moving away from it and taking another step that will see us through lockdown the Christmas period and into January. Although I can't announce what that is yet. Steve, that's the correct decision, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've, we've talked about this at length. We, we had this discussion in the pub. Um, this was always going to come down to uh, when, the, spawn, when, when the, the broadcasters, when Sky and BT when it reached a stage where it was costing them money, where, where people were ringing them up and saying, I have to pay £15 for a match and I'm already paying you £20 a month so I can watch the match. So I'm going to cancel my subscription with you and just do the pay-per-view money. Um, yeah. Those, play, those people to Sky are not just football customers. They have a whole range of entertainment products to sell them. And if they lose them as a customer because they just want to see the football, then they're losing, you know, they're losing their core. And as soon as they started seeing any kind of people mass unsubscribing, they were going to go to the Premier League and say, you stop this and you stop this now mm. because you're damaging our business model and we are more important right now than you are. Yeah, I'll go along with that. Luke, would you agree? Yeah, it's been a bit of a disaster for them, actually. and A PR disaster more than anything. Um, they, they really haven't won friends and influenced people by doing this. And, and uh, yeah, they might have made some money, and, and I appreciate the clubs have to have a, a revenue stream somehow, but there's got to be better ways of doing it than this. And it's just been disastrous. So I think it's the right call. They've got to do something a bit better. It's just the end of it, really. Fair enough. Andy, what, what is that bit better? What, what's that thing that's a bit better? What do you think the correct solution is from this point on? I think they had it spot on when the restart happened. I think... Uh, what they did, I think, really worked well. That they 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 considered uh, people's morale over lockdown. So mm-hmm. I think they should they 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 should go back to what they were doing before, having the live game on BBC or having the the free game available. I think they should just go back to that because that seemed to work quite well. And I know um, also I know they had the rubbish games on BBC and stuff like that. But I think for me that worked well, and I think that will certainly uh, bring some morale back, especially with obviously you know ourselves are out of lockdown now but I think in England the people until at least December the 1st in in the lockdown and maybe even longer depending on what happens in the future I think certainly they should consider doing that because that that, that thing that would lift lift morale mm. yeah um I think there's one thing that I honestly think the Premier League should do that I've 
been the kind of thing in the Premier League should do for over a year now since Amazon did their first games. Um, and that's like a Netflix-style complete coverage over the top subscriptions, mm-hmm. subscription service. Um, currently, I've, got, I've built a little bit of a fact file on this based off a report I saw on the Athletic. Mm-hmm. Like currently, Premier League clubs earn, on average, £135 million from central PL funds from the television deal. And that comes before they've even sold a single pie or match day ticket. Uh, according to a report in The Athletic last year, the cheapest deal to watch all 200 live Premier League matches in the season would cost the viewer around £907 per year. Now, if you imagine that there was a vast, over-the-top Premier League channel... Um, it has huge archives of Premier League matches dating back to its conception in 1992, as well as like magazine shows like Football Focus, highlight shows, news shows. Um, and as well as that, you can watch every weekend, every single Premier League match live every weekend on this subscription service available on all mm-hmm. devices, smart TVs, phones, tablets, laptops, the whack. For all of that, it would cost you £12 a month, £144 a year, or if you did the pay upfront thing and you just pay flat out one year, flat out, it would cost you £120 for an annual subscription. Now, if you take all of the 200 million people across the world who pay between 15 to £76 a month to watch the Premier League and mm. sign every single one of them up to this Premier League OTT streaming service at an average of £10 a month, the £3 billion a year that the Premier League currently earns from TV rights suddenly becomes £24 billion. Each mm. club then goes from the hundred uh, goes from the one hundred and thirty-five million pound they currently make per year to just north of one billion pound per club per year. So that's an incredibly higher revenue stream for the Premier League and a much 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 cheaper viewing option for fans. Luke, is that is that the way forward? Do you think? It, it you know it very well could be. Um, currently, I'm paying a lot of money every month for, for my football yes. and sports coverage in general. Yeah. And, and on top of that, I also uh, pay for um, NFL Game Pass for the NFL side of things. So so actually, I kind of think that model would work, actually. Uh, you know, I think there'd be a lot of people who would who would really appreciate that, and particularly as the model is moving to much more sort of uh, online and on-demand stuff. Actually, yeah. that could totally make sense. I mean, I'd, I'd be tempted if I thought it had the right level of coverage uh, for everything I needed, I would do it. I think I'm pretty sure I would. Yeah, I think I would do it, Andy. Assu- assuming the the wife signs off now, of course. But you know, <laughs> yeah, I, I think it works. And I remember Simon Jordan talked about the same thing on Talksport a, a few a while back now. And I think also what hmm. you said, people obviously people a lot of people don't pay for Sky because of the costs. So I think this is what I mean. It would bring in a lot you, more revenue, yeah. oh, wouldn't it? Exactly, exactly. And I think. Uh, what works well with with Game Pass is that it's not that expensive. Thanks again, Luke, for the login today. Um, but yeah, I think I think what it works well because obviously it's only about one hundred and something pounds a year, and it's not mm-hmm. you're getting you're getting all the programs each week. And I think that would work so well in the Premier League as well. And I think um, yeah, I think everything you said before, Ken, is bang on. And I think that should certainly be be something that you consider because I think it, it will draw, draw draw more people in. I think it will. Um, potentially earn more because people who don't mm. have Sky before because it's like what's that something like £800 a month or something like that for Sky whereas yeah. if you're saying oh, I £12 instead people can go oh, okay that's not, we will pay that because that isn't too bad so I think totally. certainly that, that could work for me yeah I think especially when you've got fans who only really watch 
Um, like who only really pay for Sky Sports and BT Sports for the Premier League. Um, mm. Obviously, this would only be the Premier League. So if, the, if you were a big fan of other sports um, or other football, then you might still need to pay the prices for Sky Sports and BT Sports. But if they lost the Premier League completely from their docket, those kind of subscription services would have no choice but to reduce their prices, wouldn't they? Um, Steve, as a man who quite often complains about internet broadband speeds, <laughs> is that the only flaw in this system? No, there are, there are several key flaws in this system. Uh, the first one is infrastructure. If you're going to set up something like that, the Premier League has to go to its members and say, we want you all to shell out at the start of this, right, to fund us building the infrastructure to show all these games live. Because right now, Sky, BT, they wheel the, their, their, their outside broadcast fans up, they set their cameras up, they've paid for their infrastructure, they've got all their material. Right? The Premier League That's- do that themselves already. They, it's just not broadcast in the UK. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. All right. Okay. Premier, Premier uh, League Productions is a thing already, and they do all of that already every week. We just don't get to see it. All right. I'll give you a second reason. Agreed. Right now, you're saying that the the other um, you know service providers, the Skies, the BTs, right, who are currently getting 35, 40 per month out of people so they can watch the football. Mm-hmm. And you're saying the Premier League, which we've already established as one of the most money-grabbing entities ever created, mm-hmm. will suddenly give fans a deal where they pay a quarter of that. They won't. The Premier yes, League, but they make more money from it. If you like, this, this, if they this, make this is the problem with the Premier League. The Premier League doesn't want to make some money. It wants to make all of the money. It I don't think they price it. I don't think they don't... price it in the same way as uh, Game Pass, Steve. I think they, I think they probably price it at like twenty-five pound a month or something. I think more likely what you'll see is similar to what we had with the pay-per-view there, where they'll start saying, well, when we sell tickets to fans to come into the stadium, Liverpool fans uh, will appreciate this more than anything else. You have Tier 1, Tier 2, Tier 3 games. Mm. What you'll see if the Premier League controls its own broadcasting rights is you'll see Tier 1, Tier 2, Tier 3 games. And there'll be ten pounds for some, and fifteen for others, and twenty-five for others. You wouldn't pay for it like that, though. You, it wouldn't be a case of a pay-per-view system. It would. Mm-hmm. It's. It's a one charge, like Game Passes. You pay one yeah. specific subscription, direct debit, every month or every Absolutely. year, and you if, get access to everything. If 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 that was just the pure concept, and it didn't exist in the real world where it wouldn't work, then yeah, it's a great idea. So how does Game Pass work then in the US? Yeah, I, I, I don't, I, I don't agree. I don't agree though that, that you, you would see BT and Sky drop the product, the prices. I think what you would see is you would see BT and Sky go to other leagues and bring those leagues in. Right, the prices might come down a little bit, but they would push those leagues harder. But there'd be less interest in those leagues in the UK. Yeah, but the, the Skies and the BTs and such they control the broadband through which the Premier League is going to have have uh, people watching. Mm-hmm. And we, we've heard stories before about throttling of services. But the, the whole they, they uh, wouldn't be allowed. They wouldn't be allowed to do that here. They definitely wouldn't be allowed to do that. I here. I think you have way more faith no, in, in uh, people not being lobbied here than. But if that if I that happened, all it would lead to is just a massive inc- increase in Virgin subscription. I think uh, if that, <laughs> that was the case, I think Virgin. I think Virgin might end up inadvertently being the ones who profit from this the most. Of that. That's true, and that's that's precisely. There's two reasons. So 
first of all, they wouldn't be allowed to do it because Ofcom would step in and say... I, was say, it, it, so I think it breaks a few laws if it, they did that. It um, violates net neutrality for one thing. And the second yeah. thing is that other providers would step in and, and provide it. So they'd be cutting their own throats. Um, I, I definitely think it's a gore, but I, 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 I do wonder you know, what the alternative would be for, for other sides of things. But I could see it working. I could, I could see def- people sign up for it. I could definitely say working, and I would definitely sign up to it. Like I say, the I'd, whole... I'd pay ten or a month if I could watch all the Premier League games, all the highlights. You know, I don't yeah. worry about it. That, that'd Absolutely. be great. But I, I just don't think. Uh... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I, I, I do. Th- I do think it's um, very much a go. I do think it's very much doable as well. Um, and Steve, I'll send you a link to a video and maybe an article or two later that um, might might change your mind because that's but sort of where I got this from was a, an athletic article converted into a video by Tifo Football on YouTube. And this, it's, these people are not silly people, you know what I mean? This is a very well thought out and very complicated process that's mm-hmm. been painstakingly thought out. And I, I, I really, really do like the sound of it. And I, I do, do. I do watch a few of their videos and they're, they're, they're good. They're, they're well written, but I do feel sometimes they're, uh, they're a bit kind of in an ideal world rather than in the real world. Yeah, I, I, mean, I, this, say, I think this one came directly from an article on The Athletic. Um, yes, mate? Can I just say one thing about that? And it's just one thought about all of this, actually. It's in the Premier League's interest to control their output and where it's shown. And they do that through actually not selling it to satellite providers, but actually doing their own coverage and then controlling who they then um, you know, give that out to overseas. And and so it kind of makes sense for them. It's almost like a no-brainer in terms of their side of things. Yeah, I think the so, fact that know. Premier League productions already exists, and the fact that Premier League that yeah. Premier League already broadcasts its own games live in certain parts of the world means that the infrastructure mm. for this is already there. So actually mm-hmm. doing it wouldn't be that much of a transition. It wouldn't be that hard of a transition for the Premier League itself. It would essentially only mean that they would just have to start broadcasting it here. Um, as well as everywhere else, and I don't know, develop the. I, I still maintain that there's no way they would give it away. They, they view themselves as a premium product that I don't think they would ever give it away to people for ten pound a month. I, the thing is, though, like it's that that ten pound a month. Like if you actually do the maths across the whole world, makes them far, far, far more than actually selling the money based off broadcasting rights does. Mm. So yeah, it, yeah. it makes much more sense to do that. And it would probably, like, the £10, £12 a month thing is obviously only just an idea, a, hypoth- a hypothetical suggestion. I would imagine, as Luke said earlier, if the Premier League actually did that, it would be more like £20, £25 a month. But then that just means that the money that they make is even larger. Um, and to be honest, if you, say, if you said to me you can pay £25 a month for all the Premier League or you can continue paying the £120 a month, plus that you currently pay well it's a no-brainer isn't it all right then we'll move on to uh the latest round of games as ever we were treated to another round of Premier League fixtures this weekend with the main headlines coming from the Emirates and the Etihad as Arsenal were thumped 3-0 at home by Aston Villa and Liverpool and City played out a 1-1 draw away from that Southampton bested Newcastle 2-0 Brighton and Burnley were stuck at stalemate Man United ended their slump beating high fly Everton 3-1 Crystal Palace thrashed Leeds 4-1 um, and Chelsea beat the Blades by the same scoreline. Also, West Ham nicked the 1-0 win over Fulham, thanks in no small part to a horrendous 98-minute penalty from Adam Muller-Luckman, and Leicester edged out Wolves 1-0, and finally Spurs ground out a 1-0 win over West Brom. Starting with Chelsea, Luke, have your boys got it in them to go and win the Premier League this season? 
you know what? They played some lovely football. Played some absolutely gorgeous football, and I was I was really impressed. Um, and I think a lot of people were. I mean, it was interesting actually because I, I think in in recent uh, the recent few weeks we've really started to tick, and uh, from top to bottom actually it's uh, it it you know we're, we're looking like the real deal. Whether we can keep it going or not, I don't know, but I'm I'm certainly pretty optimistic at the moment. I was looking at the table earlier, and it's it really is tight. I mean, there's only three points in it at the top between the top and uh, and and something like fifth place or something like that. Is that right? Something like that. Let me just get the table off and I'll, try, I'll tell you. But it's it's really really close. Yeah, it is really um, close. So so you know we're, we're we're certainly I would say we're in with a good shout. And, eight and points between eight points between Leicester at the top and Leeds in fifteenth. Isn't it crazy? Isn't it crazy? Um, but, you know, in terms of the top six, uh, three points separate them. Um, so a- anything can happen. Uh, but, yeah, we're in a good place at the moment. Yeah, I think the main concern that everyone had for Chelsea this season was their ability to defend. Um, mm-hmm. But in all competitions, Chelsea kept five clean sheets in a row before Saturday. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, you look at them and you see them a lot closer than any of us do. Mm-hmm. Is that starting to change? And what is it about that? What what is it that start that's sort of made um, a little bit of a difference in the turnaround? Where, where's that come from? Ben Chilwell, you think? Long and short of it, yeah. I mean, honestly, the, the, he's a quality player. I think Alonso uh, was becoming a bit of a liability at the back. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chilwell gives us another another dimension, and and Rhys James on the other side's been brilliant as well. And and actually, um, you know. Thiago has been has been great actually, and um, I think the big games will be the ones where you see whether he's still got it or not. But he strolled through the rest of the games aside from the the, the West Brom game. Actually, he strolled through the rest of them, and he's been a good organising presence at the back. Mm. Um, so so yeah, I'm, I'm I'm suitably impressed. The new keeper looks pretty good as well. So yeah yeah, it's all good. It's all good so far. The question is, the next game. You have to face the irresistible attacking force that is Newcastle United. And Steve Bruce is Newcastle United, no less. Is Thiago Silva up to the challenge of that? That's a question. Well, I don't know. Him against Joe Linton. It's a tough call. Do you know what it is? I've told you before, I will not have Joe Linton slander on this podcast. <laughs> you will certainly be muted. I, I was saying nothing about it. I was just saying it was a, it was a mm-hmm. tough matchup. That's all I was saying. Uh-huh. Probably. No sarcasm, no tongue in that. I saw the tongue in the cheek, Andy. I think we've all. I think we've seen Chelsea improve since one thing happened. They dropped Kepa. I think we've seen him. Obviously, he hasn't played a league game since that three-three draw against Southampton. But since then, they've been so good. And I think for me, that that is the reason. Um, I think along with likes of Thiago Silva getting accustomed to the league, same with Havertz and Werner. I think for me. Um, definitely changing keepers has me helped not only in the Premier League but also we saw them with a draw nil nil against Sevilla and I can't yeah. did they win four nil was it in the in the Champions League away last week but I think yeah I think they've certainly we've certainly seen improvements um, yeah, since three nil yeah there was four nil against right, Krasnodar yeah. and then three nil mm-hmm. at home against Wren um, yeah right yeah 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 it's, it's, it's yeah it's an interesting one I think. Um, as you were saying, Andy, I think with Kepa not being there and maybe uh, the new keeper, was it, is it Edward, Arton Edward being in goal? Yeah, Edward Mendy. Oh, Edward. Arton Edward. Arton Edward. 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 Edward.
Yeah, I, I, you can see why I got it mixed up. I'm, I'll, I'm not taking a loss there. Um, yeah, but a strong keeper, it breeds confidence in the back line, doesn't it? But and if you've got a strong motivator like uh, Tiago Silva in there as well, I think I think it was only a matter of time until we saw a noticeable difference. Steve. Yeah, I'll go with what Andy said. This is the, the, the big thing that obviously has made a difference is having a keeper in there that the defence has faith in. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll go with what Luke said, that Chilwell makes a massive difference. Suddenly having a guy who <clears throat> not only is there in the overlap, but isn't you know super leggy and, and gets caught uh, upfield when he tries to, to provide that attack in width. Um, but I think one of the things Lampard's done recently is he's, he's slowly but surely working out what his best 11 is. Now, we said at the start of the season, Chelsea would have a stupid amount of attacking options, and they do. But Lampard, um, I think he at the start of the season, he had so many of them, he wasn't sure which one was going to fit into which position. Um, I think Werner, game by game by game, has looked better and better. His yeah, confidence has grown as he scores. Um, he's worked out how to integrate Abraham into the same team as Werner which we didn't think he'd be able to do at the start. We thought Werner would be kind of the out-and-out striker, Abraham going up on the bench. But actually, mm-hmm. it works better having Abraham as your big target man there, Werner playing off him a bit wide. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, how, that's how Werner played best at Leipzig, so it only makes sense. Yep. That's it. Yeah, uh, ZH has become, as he's got fitter, ZH looks more and more like oh. a really influential playmaker. Tremendous player, um, by the way, Steve. Yeah, um, and he's dropped Kai Havertz. Now, mm-hmm. Luke may have an issue with this statement, but I have a problem with Kai Havertz. Kai Havertz is he's a number 10 with no pace. He has trickery and he has great you know, distance shooting. Right? But in terms of what you need for the Premier League, which is a number 10 that can run at defences, beat men, play in other people, Havertz doesn't seem to have that. He's not quick enough to play out wide, which you need to play in Lampard's schemes. Because even when you get Ziyech playing at number 10 or Mount playing at number 10, they drift wide to bring, you know, to bring other players into the game. And Havertz doesn't seem to have that in his, his locker. I know he's young and he can be trained, um, but you can train a lot of things in a player. You can't make them quicker. And that's Havertz's big problem. He can't seem to adapt to the pace of the Premier League. Do, do you know, it's a big, it's a, it's a steep curve up to the Premier League. And I think for a young player, I, I, I honestly think he, he needs a little bit longer to acclimatise fully to it. And, and you'll see the best of him probably next season. Yeah, he is um, a top quality player. I don't agree on the pace thing, but but I do think that um, the, the actual pace of games can be hard to acclimatise to, especially coming from the Bundesliga, which isn't quite the same sort of frenetic pace. In January, I mean. in January, would you loan Havertz out to another Premier League team? Absolutely, not. that's a ridiculous thing to suggest. Like the, the, uh, this I, is, I, a, I, this I is a seventy million would, pound. Yeah, a seventy million pound player who can't get a start in birth. And he's behind the likes of Callum Hudson Odoi, right? Would you loan him out? He's not to, though. To he's not. To... He's, he's absolutely he's not, not behind the likes of Callum Hudson Odoi. He's, he's just not. Is he? No, he's not. Um, and can I just no. point out on the states that uh, on the speed thing? As much as I do not think the pace is even remotely um, important for a number ten, it's more your positional ability and your ability to drift yeah. between the lines. Um, I'm reading an article on the Bundesliga article, uh, the Bundesliga website from two years ago, and he is noted he has been captured as the fourth quickest player in the entire Bundesliga, clocking a speed of 21.76 miles an hour. So he's not exactly slow. Who's who's he behind? Uh, hang on. Christian Pulisic. 
Lucas Klunta, Ante Rebic, Ashraf Hakimi, Giant, and Jerome Ruzion, who are right. who are so very quick players. So he's not I, behind. I, I don't, he's not behind Werner or Pulisic. I, I don't, I honestly, I'm, I'm with Kieran and this, Steve. I'm with Kieran and this, Steve. I don't think sheer pace is important than number ten. I, I think positional ability and the ability to pick out a pass is much more important. Um, pace is only really important if you're playing the wide position. I, I don't. Yeah. So I don't buy the. It, it's it's useful, but it's not absolutely key. That's my Kingsley, point. On that, Lampard, on that list, Kingsley Coleman ranked at ninth at twenty one point six four mm-hmm. miles an hour. That, so, Lampard was a traditional number ten who who run from deep and 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 shoot and play players in, and he did. He was not the quickest. But he wasn't in, the quickest either. Like he could pick out a pass. Lampard's, Lampard's team doesn't have a traditional number ten. You watch when Mount plays there, when ZH plays there. They, they don't, don't need run a at defenders. Number ten. They, 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 they look out wide the and they play. They don't. That's they, 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 if you put someone in number ten, they need to be, have some pace because of the way Lampard sets his teams up. You the, can't just have someone sitting Lampard there. system is much more of an advanced fulcrum for for the attacks and and, and a point to, to bounce passes off. It's it, it's nothing to do with pace, in my opinion. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think um, the other thing with. Uh, Havertz and I said this a few months ago when he first signed mm-hmm. um, and that is expecting an immediate impact from him was dumb all you, all you have mm-hmm. to do is look at Christian Pulisic it took Christian Pulisic seven or eight months to bet in and once he did he was unplayable 100%, 100%. Um, completely yeah. unplayable but he didn't hit the ground running not by, by the first few games everyone was going oh, he's a bust he's a bust he's crap he's a waste mm-hmm. of 60 million it's the same situation I, I, I honestly believe that in Six months to a year's time, you will start to see you will be seeing the very best of Kai Havertz, and that is an outstanding young footballer who is very versatile. Andy, I agree with you. Yeah, I think there's definitely sort of uh, more focus. It's creeping in in many sports that they want players to sort of be be the answer straight away. I think not every player can do it straight away. I think some players do need time to adapt, especially if they've come from a different country where they haven't spoken a language before as well. I think these players do need time. And I think we saw with the likes of Fabinho, I mean, he didn't play for like four or five months and then he came in and never looked back mm. really. And I think we saw it with Andy Robertson as well. I think we've seen it with other players from different teams as well that sometimes they don't come in mm-hmm. straight away. They need time to get accustomed to a new culture, get accustomed to a new language, get accustomed to a new league. So I think even David Silva, when David Silva came in and he wasn't good for the first few months. And Luka Modric was deemed a flop the first four months he was there. Um, even even Gallagher. Joe Linton was deemed a flop. Joe yeah. <laughs> Linton was deemed, deemed a flop and, uh, and just never stopped being deemed a flop. <laughs> Hi. I'll meet you. Joe Linton's top quality, don't mute me. <laughs> exactly. I think he'll do well in the championship. Um, but for me, I, I, think, I think, just to give him time, I think it's only... Mute. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the host is getting petty. Yeah, yeah. Take a no. bow, son. Take a bow. <laughs> Triggered. Trigonometry. Doesn't matter. Nope. Nah, mute it. <laughs> All right. I'm moving on. I'm going to move on to the team who suffered at the hands of Chelsea this weekend, who were Sheffield United. They now sit rock bottom with just one point to their name. Steve, is it too early to diagnose a serious case of second season syndrome? No, it's not. Um, when we had the discussion at the start of the season as to where teams are going to finish in the league, I'm pretty sure I predicted them bottom five and possibly bottom three. Um, they didn't invest in the summer. They lost the best player. Uh, they replaced them with a guy who 
no, no disrespect to Aaron Ramsdale, is not Dean Henderson. Okay. Um, they didn't go out and buy quality, proven Premier League strikers because they didn't have the money to do so. Um, but, you know, if, if they'd done what, what Blackpool did or what other teams that, that have set themselves properly have done is they, if they spent the money off the field and they built their infrastructure, they built their training facilities, you know, that they, they've built their youth facilities, you know, they've enabled the club to be on a sound foot for the next five, ten years, then great. But right now on the pitch, they haven't invested and you can see it. You can see that the teams who play against them know exactly how they played last year, know exactly how it's set up against them and know exactly how to get around them. Um, you know, they're just, there's nothing different about Sheffield United this year. They're predictable. And when you're predictable in the Premier League, you get relegated. Yeah, for sure. I'm just going back to your um, Premier League predictions. Luke predicted them to finish 15th, Andy 14th, and Steve 15th. Andy? Yeah. I think we, we, we saw it even before the summer. We saw it after the restart. And I think, I mean, you can say the same thing for Liverpool, but also Sheffield, I think they've really suffered from no fans. I think they really, I think they really had that 12th man in, in their fans at Bramall Lane. And yeah, I think definitely. Luke, Lose, losing that, losing that, losing the fans. There, I think has certainly impacted them because um, if they'd had a good end of the season, and then played bad, you could then argue oh second season syndrome. But I think maybe you could argue the, the three months break. Maybe because I think they were playing a, what, really good football before the break. They were in good form, and then it all stopped. I think like, the whole progress. Yeah, and I think also I think even though I think he will be a good player eventually, I think spending. Uh, 25 million on a championship player at the moment, Brewster, who's then last season, has only really scored goals in the championship in me and Brewster. I think maybe they could spend that money on on maybe maybe got him on loan and got someone for 25 million who is Premier League proven. I think that mm. might be their mistake long term. That they could have easily got him on a loan spell. I, I don't see why they spent that money. They could have easily got him on a loan spell and spent the money they spent on him on someone who is Premier League proven. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think of players top of my head that they could have bought but my mind's gone blank but I think yeah certainly they maybe should have looked at someone who um, is family proven just, and just got Brewster on loan yeah yeah potentially I mean it's it's been a tough watch but as Andy says um, they seem to have struggled to adapt to life without fans do you, Luke, do you think not having that Bramall Lane crowd to roll them on um because they were really, really, really excellent at home in particular last mm. season. Um, do you think that has been a factor in their dip in form? I, I would say so, yes. I mean, I think, I think if, you're, if you're a lower, um, a lower club, you, you've got to really build in your home performances. And a lot of that is the crowd being a 12th man. And, and I think in particular, they seem to be really suffering at the moment. Um, and, and it's tough to see how they're, they're going to pull, pull themselves out of this, actually, in all honesty, because... I watched it, you know, the other um, when they played us, and I just didn't see that much from them. Um, I, I felt like they, they, they lacked ideas, um, and that comes from the, the manager as well. Maybe he doesn't have a plan B. I don't know. Um, but yeah. if you don't really have the quality, then you're not really going to be able to change it all that much. Um, you know, so it, it, it's it's tough to see what's going to how, how they're going to do it. But they definitely need fans back in the stadium as soon as possible. That will make a difference for them without doubt. Definitely. Um, Steve's just scrambling a bit of pizza, so I'll start my next question. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, three losses in a row. Uh, just moving on now to Everton. That's three losses in a row uh, The yeah. after the Man U lost at the weekend. 
their incredible start of the season seems quite a long time ago, if I'm being honest. Um, was that just an anomaly? Or do you think they can get back to that? Do you think that's where they should be? And do you think they can get back to that once their injured players return and suspensions are done? And Steve seems to have finished these pizza, so I'll ask that to Steve. Um, yes and no. Um, part of the, the reason that Everton had such a good start was whoever had to play in that first five games. Um, you know, they didn't have, they didn't start off, I don't think they played Liverpool till sixth, sixth, seventh game of the season, Andy? Um, yeah. Question, actually. I know, I want to say fifth, but I, I'm going to be able to look, I'm be able to look. I'll check for you now. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, the thing with, the thing with that was, that they, they started off, they had a good schedule, um, but they had, they had several things that were, were really important. Um, James came in, and James provided that creative yeah. linchpin at number 10. Absolutely. But uh, to go with it, it was so you had you had um, massive, massive pace up front. Okay. Now, mm. for all the Everton fans I talk to, and every time I've watched the, the team, the key player up front for them is not Calvert Lewin. The key player up front for them is Richarlison. And what Richarlison mm-hmm. does that all the guys that have come in for him, um, Bernard, uh, Gomez, uh, Sigerson, that they don't do is Richarlison hassles defenders. Okay. He chases yeah. players down, right? And when he hasn't got the ball, he's doing a lot of work to get that ball back. And without that, Everton have they've struggled because teams are allowed to play out from the back against them, which they couldn't do at the start of the season. Um, Dina getting sent off has provided has caused them problem because there was no pace in their, in their attack. Combine that with the lack of the Richarlison, and pretty much one side of the pitch is, is no use to Everton. You know, there's, there's no... It's no disrespect to the likes of Nkunku, but he is not um, the same level of quality as Dina. You know, no. Dina's come through the come through from Barcelona. He's played at the highest level. You know, he's been at Everton for a couple of years. Uh, he understands Ancelotti's system. Uh, Richarlison, likewise, um, Nkunku is really he's finding his, his he's finding his feet this season. Mm-hmm. And the other thing this shows is Everton's lack of depth. Um, they did spend big on players uh, in the centre of the park, which they needed to do because there's there's been real holes there for a couple of years. But mm-hmm. once you get beyond their base 11, it looks pretty dire. Yeah, Andy? Yeah, I think certainly, I think maybe we all got a bit carried away with the start they made. I mean, I know I certainly, I was a bit worried at first. I mean, I think uh, Ricardo is, is a big miss. I think that shouldn't be taken away. I think he, him being missing has really... Now, he's quite of his aggression, his sort of ability up front really does make an impact for that team. So I think him being gone, I think, I think that was the first time in 13 years Ancelotti's lost three league games in a row. They were saying on BT yeah. Sport when I watched the game, yeah. um, it was their fifth game, by the way, Steve, for your, um, for your knowledge, it was the fifth game in. Uh, but yeah, I think certainly um, it shouldn't mean, oh, this season's over. I think they could, I think with how being how tight it is at the top, I think they could easily still go for top four and go for... Um, for Europe, but I do think they they do need all their players fully fit in order to do so. I think we've mm-hmm. seen without Digner, without without Ricardos and that that they have certainly um, haven't coped with with those players missing. So I think if they can keep all the players fit, uh, all the players uh, start to revel every week, the same team every week with, with a few small changes here and there. I think they certainly should be a team we're still looking at because at the end of the day, there's no team running away with it right now. There's still, mm-hmm. as you say before, eight points between first and fifteenth. So I think, um, yeah, I think certainly they've got a chance still. But 
I think we we've all we, we we mentioned VR before. We've all missed talking about Jordan Pickford tackle on Maguire. I mean, that was disgraceful. Mm-hmm. That was just as bad as the Van Dyke ones. I I just can't understand why that wasn't given a red card. I mean, it goes back to my previous point about previous point about Pickford. And I think he is still dis- disgraced. I think he's he's getting away with it again and again. He's he's just going to keep doing it until eventually he gets sent off. So um, mm. so yeah. That that oh. that again was another VAR disaster. Are, are we but, referring to them now as Everton then? Everton. Are they Everton? Um, Just like we yeah. had Manchester Var United and Liverpool. <laughs> it, it seems as though when teams want to, when fans want to kind of denigrate their opponents, and they refer to them as being kind of beneficiaries of VAR, when even when the stats don't bear that out. Um, but also on, on your point about Pickford, yeah, that's the second challenge which. If, if VAR is, you know, if VAR is remotely effective, it looks at a player trying to take his opponent out twice in two weeks, and it says, yeah, that player should be retrospectively banned. But the problem is, the ref- the rule is the referee has seen the incident and rules it's not a card, and it's in the referee's report, then they can't take retrospective action. And that's daft. Because yeah. we, we talked earlier about the referee doesn't have uh, influence over the game, but then he seems to have make an have influence on you know decisions like that, which can you know they can change teams' seasons, absolutely change players' absolutely. careers. I mean, I read an article today about how Van Dyke is really really badly struggling with this injury because he's never been injured like this before. You know, then will he come back the same player after that? And Pickford yeah. didn't even get slapped in the wrist for it. Yeah, I'm just moving it back to Everton and the sort of their fortunes a bit there. Uh, they currently sit seventh in the Premier League table mm-hmm. on 13 points. Three points off the top four, five off the top of the league, Leicester City at the top of the league. Luke, um, in your start of season predictions, you had them finishing... Ooh, where did you have them? You had sixth. them sixth. You did, you had them sixth. Do you stick by that? Yes. Um, so, so up until Christmas, they've got a relatively favourable run-in, actually. So they've got Fulham, Leeds United... Um, and then they have Burnley, um, and then they've got Chelsea and Leicester, which are a bit tricky. They've got Arsenal, which they should beat, Sheffield United, and then Everton again, uh, Manchester City. So it's a relatively favourable run-in up until Christmas time. So you could see them pick up an awful lot of points. Um, obviously, we'll give them a doing in, uh, you know, in December, but actually, <laughs> you know, over the piece, you'd think that they would pick up the majority of points there. Mm-hmm. Um, Probably their trickiest games are against us and against Man City, really. Uh, they've got Leicester away. Depends how Leicester are playing, you know, to be honest with you. But, but you know, you'd like to think they'll, they'll take a good amount of points and I think they'll be knocking on the top five. Yeah, I, I would go along with that. I think um, Steve made a good point earlier that, in that, mm-hmm. that they don't have a lot of depth. So um, mm-hmm. if they struggle to keep the likes of James Rodriguez fit and if they lose a Richarlison or a Dominic Calvert-Lewin, mm-hmm. And their season could very easily go from fifth, sixth to tenth, eleventh. You know what I'm saying? You're quite right. You're quite right. Yeah. I mean, it's the same for most of the clubs. I mean, we'll talk about this a little bit later. But um, certainly outside of the top four, they're struggling for the top quality players, aren't they? I mean, I think the top four are a different story. Mm-hmm. They, they could feel two different teams, and and you know, any complaints from the managers are just moaning really because. They've got enough players to cover everything. I, I actually think one of the things that, that COVID has caused here is a lot of teams to kind of cut the cloth accordingly. Um, so mm. teams that would normally, you know, sign three or four players to add some depth in kind of the middle of the table or the, the bottom of the table, they're mm. not taking those decisions to sign players now. 
Um, you know, the likes of the Uniteds and the Liverpools and the Cities they, yeah, and the Chelsea's, they're, they're going to do that because they can afford to. They're, they're the big clubs. You know, they, they make their money on merchandising as well as the TV deals. But the smaller clubs, you know, like they say, the Sheffield Knights, the Burnleys, the ones who rely on that TV deal for almost everything, those are the ones who are struggling the most. And, and Everton, to a degree, are in that same bracket. Um, Everton don't have, you know, the, the massive overseas um, fan base. They don't sell, shift the same number of, uh, you know, t- um, ref- you know, replica shirts as their the cross city rivals do. So if they don't have that income stream, they have to cut the cloth accordingly. And Let's not uh, forget that, that they also have a very, 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 very large outgoing bill coming up as they build a new stadium. There, there is that's that true. as well, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, we'll move on from Evan. Um, we'll move to Crystal Palace. Uh, they currently sit eighth in the Premier League table and have been quietly going about their business this season so far. Mm-hmm. Um, this weekend, a 4-1 win over Leeds was quite impressive. Um, with another three winnable fixtures coming up, Burnley, Newcastle, West Brom, they could be over the halfway line of survival by December 5th. Mm-hmm. Andy, do you think people underestimated this Palace side? Absolutely, and I think even Hodgson at that rate, because everyone mems them for his time as time at England, but I think he's done a, he's done a really good job since he's come into Palace um, what when he since he come in and I think yeah certainly I think Palace have been always been quite an underrated side for me I mean they got they still got Zaha they managed to keep him I think they've got um, some good players like Milijovic is is a good player when when he plays um, and then even their I think Gwaita is a good goalkeeper they've just bought Inclined who I still think could do a good job if he can stay fit which is very rare these days um, and mm-hmm. I think they've done all this with a real defensive issue they've had loads of defensive in- injuries which is why the likes of Mitchell came in in the first part of the season. So I think with all the injuries they've had and still managed to, to finish, to be where they are at the moment, I think fair play to Roy Hodgson. I think he's done a great job. And I think that Eze is getting better whenever whenever I see him, he's getting better every week. Um, I think Townsend is still a very capable player. Um, I think um, even like someone like Jordan Ayew can do a good job at times. Um, and I think obviously Zaha's the main guy. But mm. I, I think, yeah, I think certainly Palace, um, Really, no one's really talking about them. Everyone's talking about Leicester, Spurs, Everton, uh, Aston Villa, even even a Wolves. But no one's been mentioning Palace. Everyone's sort of putting them under the radar. And I think mm-hmm. that's testament to Hodgson how good job he's done. But also, I think it just shows that um, they are capable and they can potentially in this in what I think will be the craziest season, the most open season ever in Premier League history. I think they should certainly go for it, and they've got a chance to certainly at least potentially challenge for. Europa League so I don't, I don't see why they, they, they couldn't do that Yeah um, I mean so far this season they've got four wins uh, a draw and three losses with 12 goals scored 12 goals conceded um, Steve what do you think the ceiling is for that team this season? Um, I, I'll be honest it's pretty high um, we, we talked about how Sheffield United have collapsed this season that kind of that, that moves them down the board that moves Palace up the board a little bit and Palace were no slouches last year. Uh, now, I know when we talked about pre-season, who brought in which, which players brought in which teams, and we, we pinpointed that uh, one of the key signs of the season for Palace would be uh, Ebieze. Yes. Ignore my pronunciation on that. But as, as, we, as we saw against Leeds at the weekend, um, I, I was listening to the, the commentary on it, and they were saying he provides that perfect counterbalance to Wilfred Zaha on the opposite wing. So, for example, when if, if Zaha gets the ball and Zaha's going outside, right, 
Ezzy comes inside, whereas you know when Zaha comes into there because outside, and they, they they seem to coexist by doing the exact opposite, um, and it makes it really hard for a team to prepare because they can switch wings. They're both you know both um, capable of playing left and right wing. Um, when you add Townsend to the mix as well, who can also switch wings, play in the centre, it's really hard to prepare for Palace because your centre backs are they're constantly passing someone off onto each other. And when you do that, eventually you pass off and someone's not there and there's a big gap and you roll into it. Um, also, um, Eze's uh, free kick was tremendous. It was outstanding. Uh, it, it's one it of those, when, when a player, you know, when you sign a young player and you, you play him for the first couple of games and he's just getting his confidence and he nails something like that, for the rest of the season, that's going to be in his head. And I think, I think we saw a great performance from him against Leeds. I think we'll see even better from him as the season goes on. There's no no real ceiling, I would say, for Palace. Palace, for me, they're a Hodgson team. So they're always like a 1-0, 2-0, very organised, very hard to beat. Um, but they're scoring many, many more goals this year. They haven't sold uh, Zaha. They haven't lost um, any of the talent they had last year. And somehow, they're winning games, even if they're playing Mishibatswai. <laughs> it's just a shame that um, Sellers Park wasn't... Absolutely packed out to see as they put that uh, free kick in the top bin because I think it would have been it would have gone berserk. But um, yeah, just on the sort of system that Palace are playing and how they're fitting Eze into it. At the weekend against Leeds, they played Townsend, Eze, and Zaha. Um, and I think what you've been seeing from Zaha this season is he's been playing predominantly as a forward rather than a winger, which I've quite liked. Um, and that allowed that's allowed Eze to um, play a lot of the time alongside of him in the same areas of the field, letting, allowing them to combine, making Palace a hell of a lot more dangerous. Because if you can get those two on the ball together, that's a frightening prospect for any team. And then with a very versatile utility player and capable winger and Andros Townsend on the other side, Palace's attack isn't looking too bad. And then obviously Jordan I is the number nine or Mishi Batchwai, as you say. So yeah, it's not really looking so bad, is it? Um, yeah, we, we said earlier about Everton's kind of lack of depth up front. Palace is the exact opposite. They've got they've got five players to fit into a four, sometimes even three a three player, sometimes four player scheme. Um, and yeah, when you want to change it up, you go from playing that you know the Townsend as a Zaha kind of quick into feet approach. You bring in a batter and like Batchwai. You know you you can change it up. You you give defences different um, different problems for, for every scenario, for every uh, you know period. And uh, I, I, what gets me with Palace is um, you look at that midfield and there's not a huge amount of creativity in it, but there's a lot of industry. There's a lot of guys who are working hard to get the ball. And when they've got yeah. the ball, to set off the likes of Pat Zaha and, and Eze and let them go and do their thing. You know, that's, that's where Palace's strength has been previously. But this season, the the addition of Eze has given them that extra attacking threat. Uh, and yeah, I can I can't remember where I predicted them, but I'm looking at it and thinking I I can see them finishing top ten. Um, for the record, you you had them finishing. Hang on, let me think. Let me have a look. I haven't put titles on this. So seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh. You had them eleventh, Steve. Yeah. I oh, know that's Luke. Uh, you had them twelve. Yeah. And and I. You know, I'd probably, if I had to read it again, I'd probably look at it and say, no, actually, I think they can finish 10th, maybe 9th. Yeah. Um, they've been quite impressive this season. I, I really, really, I really, really do think a lot of them. And um, Roy Hodgson's basic, back to basics, 4-4-2, with two defensively-minded midfielders and 
very impressive wingers and forwards outdid the three-three-three-one formation of uh, the tactical genius that is Marcelo Bielsa this weekend. So, yeah, I think fair play to Crystal Palace, and uh, they're a team that I've always always quite liked. So, fair play to them. I hope they can keep running up the running up that league. All right, moving on to the other team in that game, Leeds United. That form it's slipping. They've got just one win in five, um, and with tough games in Everton, Arsenal, and Chelsea to come in their next three. Andy, are Leeds fans going to be a little bit concerned? Uh, yes and no. I think for them, I think coming into the season, um, if you'd asked them where they want to finish, I mean, some were dreaming of saying top 10, but I think a lot of them would have said um, just want to stay up this season and progress from there. So I think uh, even though the comparison now to the start of the season is very different, I think maybe Leeds fans may be thinking, oh, we could have gone on from this. But at the same time, I think I think they should be happy with just being in the Premier League for now. I think their first season back in, in 15, 16 years, I think for mm. them, just staying in is for them good enough. I mean, I think they'll take over the course of the season. I think they'll take anything really above 16th place. So I think they shouldn't be too worried because this was what they were expected to not do so on as they were at the start of the season. So um, for me, I, I think they should be worried, but also not worried because it's their first season back. They should be enjoying, just enjoying their being back in the top flight really and just seeing what happens. But I don't think they should put too much expectation on this season because yeah, a lot of these players haven't played in the Premier League before. So I, I'm not yeah. sure they can expect too much. Yeah. Um, Steve, what do you think of Leeds this season? It's it's hard to to kind of form an opinion on it because I look at them on paper and think that's that's a team that should be in the bottom three. It's a team that shouldn't really be beating anybody. Um, but then you factor in the Bielsa factor and his ability to kind of adapt his teams and and, and play formations that the Premier League just isn't used to. Um, and we see it every season. There's always one team comes up where the the style of play and the formation is something that other teams aren't built to defend against. Um, and that's where Leeds are, str- are, are really strong this year. Um, I watched them absolutely pulverise Villa. Um, and I, I was like, uh, Villa have not been a bad team by any manner of means this season. And defensively at home, they've been quite good. But they didn't have an answer to Bielsa's um, tactical change. Um, because they're set up to play against teams around them and to play against the top teams. They're set up to play against teams that play a 4-2-3-1 or, or like Sarah or Hodgson's variation of 4-4-2. And that's where Leeds are getting points this season. Um, they're not defensively strong by any manner of means. Uh, in fact, you know, as a Newcastle fan, you love the Keegan teams. If you're a Leeds fan, you love the Bielsa teams. You know, you might not get the results you want, but you are going to see attacking football and lots of goals in every single game. Um, and on that basis, I, I, I don't think they're going to do Norwich um, or Blackpool. I do think they're going to do what Sheffield United did last season. Now, they're going to surprise a lot of people and finish much higher up the league than everyone expected, uh, Luke. Um, but I don't, they're not, they're not like Palace. They don't have that, um, that depth of squad. They don't have that, um, that experience, of managerial experience in the league to get themselves into the top 10. So I can see them surviving comfortably, but I can't see them really challenging for the top half of the table. Interesting that you should say that because you had them 17th in your, you had them only narrowly avoiding relegation in your Premier League predictions. So what's mm-hmm. changed? Um, I don't. I still think that's roughly where they're going to finish. I don't. I don't think they're capable of competing for the top ten. 
And I think we're going to see, we've already seen the league this season, everything is going to be very, 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 very close in the top half of the table. I think it's going to be very, very tight at the bottom half of the table. Um, we're going to see, you know, I know Burnley are a little bit adrift at the moment in West Brom, but they're going to pick up points here and there. They're going to sort of gradually grab up. Leeds um, are starting out brilliantly, but teams will adapt to their style. And in the second half of the season, I don't see them doing nearly as well as they've done at the start here. They needed yeah. a good comparison is Watford, who got off to a fantastic start last season, and then teams adapted to them. Um, and that's that's where Leeds are right now. There's a lot of talent in there that the the, 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 the league doesn't know anything about. But as the games go on, as they watch them more, as they learn the style, you know these these three one four one wins will turn into three one four one defeats, which we've, we've started to see. Yeah, I mean we've seen two of those in the last week, um, which is quite something. Um, losing four one to Leicester City, and then obviously now four one to Aston Villa as well. Not Aston Villa, sorry, Crystal Palace, but. This seems to, in my my opinion, coincide with the loss of one Calvin Phillips, who hasn't mm. taken part in any of the last three games. Does that just show, Luke, how important he is to the team that since he hasn't been in the team, which is, like I say, just mm-hmm. the last three games, they've conceded eight goals defensively? Definitely. Definitely. I mean... They were always going to struggle, in my opinion, anyway, but that certainly doesn't help matters. And I think he's been a bit of a big loss for them. Um, I, I, I still haven't really changed my opinion. I still think they'll end up struggling manfully and then going down uh, because they're going to take a hiding on a few games and that's bound to get to them eventually. Plus, I think teams will figure them out. Um, I, I, I'm not totally convinced that Bielsa actually does tweak his tactics all that much. Um, if I'm honest with you, so I, 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 I think he's yeah, very I do much think a, he's, he's missing him. Yeah, I think he's got a set way that he likes to play. He does. Marcelo he Bielsa. Does. It's he that. Does. It's that famous three-three-three-one form yeah. that he plays with. Yeah, and he loves it. He does. He does love that formation. And Calvin Phillips, in my opinion, seems it's crucial to be, in it. He seems yeah. to be the focal point of that. And if he's not there, he it's not the same. Because I, I believe um, in his absence, they they've, been playing, they've been playing Pascal Strike, who just. Uh-huh. He just doesn't have the same impact. He's not and the same, he, is he? No, nah, he's, he's not. He's, he's not Calvin Phillips. I think Calvin Phillips is excellent, but once he's back, whenever he is back, um, I think I wouldn't be surprised to see a turnaround in Leeds' um, form. Andy, what do you think in the, uh, the Leeds situation? You had them also narrowly avoiding relegation. What do you think? Um, well, you've taken the words out of my mouth. I'll, I think Calvin Phillips is a massive loss. I think, um, I mean... He also he got caught up for the England squad, and obviously he he's shown when he was playing this season how good he is, and how, obviously it's no coincidence that since since he's not been playing, um, they've dropped off. Um, mm-hmm. So I think certainly if they can get him back, um, I think they can then look. But I think even with him, I think maybe they'll they will drop off anyway. Uh, but I think certainly, I think him playing week in week out will I think will be the difference between them being in a relegation battle or not. I think if he plays every week, most weeks in the league, I think they'll be perfectly fine. I don't think I think they at the most could stretch for the top ten, but I think without him, um, they could be in trouble because he is he is he is so crucial to that team. Yeah, he is very, very, very important to that team. Um I think 
also just on that with his injury, um, I believe he's injured anyway. Um, he's not in. I don't think he's in the England squad currently, which uh, has presented an opportunity to one Jude Bellingham, who has been promoted to the England squad for the upcoming internationals. Um, and I'd just like to say a very, very, very big congratulations to him at 17 years of age. That is an incredible achievement. So, well done, mate. Um, all right, moving on to Fulham. They were denied a point at the London Stadium this week when Adamola Luckman tried to penenka a penalty in the 98th minute to draw level. Um, it was a controversial penalty anyway. Me and Steve had a bit chat about it before the record. Steve didn't think it was a penalty. I did. Um, but I think the most important thing is, can anybody explain to me why when Alexander Mitrovic, your star striker, is on the pitch and you get a penalty in the 98th minute, are you letting a kid who is not Alexander Mitrovic take the penalty? Why is Alexander Mitrovic not grabbing that ball, taking that penalty and smashing it into the back of the net? Because Alexander Mitrovic has just played 98 minutes of football and he's absolutely knackered. So, like he's a penalty taker. He's I was him. I'd be taking that penalty and I'd be fighting him to take he's that a, ball and score that a, goal. He's a striker. He's, a, he's a hungry goal yeah. scorer. Surely he should yeah, be yeah, like, absolutely. That. The, the only the only explanation because this must have been that they take, they've been taking penalties in training and in, in during the week and looking they've been spectacular. He, he, he nailed every single one. He's and Mitrovic has been stinking at his penalties. He'd, he'd even you know like you say he'd hit a few penenkas, you know, yeah. and the coach had said you know that's brilliant, you know. Um, but you know, as a manager, you know, if you see that in training, you go up to the lad, you say, "That was a great penalty. Don't ever do it again." Um, and you, <laughs> you try and teach him to put the ball to the corners <laughs> because that's where most penalties are scored. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I have no idea. I can only assume it's got to be a training ground thing. Yeah, either that or it's just in in the sort of heat of the moment. Like, so obviously, you say Alexander Mitrovic is tired. He's just played 98 minutes of football. So does Adam Ola Luckman. He's started that game. He played the whole game. So, like, it's it just it's just so bizarre. I think if it is uh, something that Scott Parker has instilled and Scott Parker has decided, then shame on Scott Parker because that's a horrific decision. But it seems to me more like something that's just happened on the pitch in mm. the moment. Um, and maybe Alex Mitrovic has sort of not fancied it or something like that. But if I'm Scott Parker and that is the case, I am furious because you at all times want your star striker to be all over that penalty, don't you, Andy? Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, if it was, say, if we did it, say if Chelsea or Arsenal did it, and obviously, say, if, if um, Werner's on the ball, he doesn't want it, they got a plethora of other attackers that, that can take them where it's Fulham. Mikovic is the star striker. He's the focal point yeah, of that attack. Absolutely. So, and I think also the Palenka is one of the things that if you if, if it works off, you look a genius, but it's so risky because if you get it wrong, you look a complete fool. And that is what yeah. Luckman had. Um, and I think I don't know. I think age has. To, I think the young youth of Luckman has. I think has played a part in that. I don't think if he was maybe twenty eight, more experienced, he, I, don't, I don't think he would take that penalty. But I think. He's probably saw his name in the headlights, probably saw his name on the back papers, probably thought, oh yeah, I'm going to do a little penenka, make a name for myself. But I think, um, obviously we, we saw it as well with, um, with, with Naki Wells at Bristol City, did it a few mm-hmm. weeks ago. Yeah. And he, again, it's just, I, I don't think anyone should take those. I think they look nice, but I think if you're trying to, if you're falling up, do it then. Then of all, you're losing 3-0 <laughs> in the last minute, do it then. But don't do it when you're losing definitely. 1-0 and you just, Want a penalty in the 98th minute to equalise when your team is struggling? 
there's there's just no place for that. And I think um, I think that's certainly that, that that to me doesn't look good on his sort of mentality. But I think yeah, I still baffles me why Mitrovic wasn't taking it because as you said, both him and Lugman played the same amount of minutes and. Um, I mean, maybe you could be maybe Tom Kenny could have taken it someone like that, but yeah. I think Mitrovic should should have been the guy who took it. And you could argue it says something on Mitrovic the fact that he's not up for taking a penalty when his 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 he's known for scoring goals. That's what he's there to do. It yeah, that's that's kind of what I was getting at, really. I mean, does it show does it show a lack of confidence within Alexander Mitrovic's head at the moment? If he is he mm. struggling a little bit with himself? Um, but like I say, even pre Alexander Mitrovic, I mean, if any Fulham fan is listening, do feel free to correct me. Uh, but I believe before Alexander Mitrovic, Tom Kearney was the penalty taker. So even it still. Was, yeah. That should, that's another name that should be ahead of Adam Muller-Luckman, who has never taken a penalty for Fulham, especially, at least, um, in that kind of pressure situation. I mean, fair play if the boy's confident, but that is just horrendous. It's, it was such a bad penalty, and he's, he cost himself a point that could, given, that, given the position Fulham are in, four points from their opening eight games, one win, one draw, six losses... Mm could prove to be absolutely vital at the end of the season. I mean, if they go down by uh, and it's by a point, <laughs> then the situation just becomes all totally, that. Totally. All that. It, it's the kind of result yes. that, you know, it, it goes from zero points to one point. It's the kind of result that can actually stop, keep, you know, get Scott Parker out of a job. Aye. But man, managers, are, I mean, football is a results-based business, you know, and when you lose a really narrow game like that and you had the chance to win and you didn't, as the manager, scream from the sidelines, take the ball off Lippmann and give it to Mitrovic, you know, yeah. the, the board will ask questions about you. Definitely. Yeah. It's a tough situation. All right, last question, because uh, I think everyone's flagging. It's a bit late now. We're, we've been on it for a while. But, is this the laugh at Arsenal segment? <laughs> or is it, is it the Spurs? I've been looking forward to this. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it was the Spurs question. I was going to leave the Arsenal debate for another week, but actually, I, I won't do that. I'll allow you to have your little laugh. It's uh, your little laugh. <laughs> Arsenal, Luke. Luke, a horrendous result for Arsenal, mate. <laughs> that England. was pretty much the whole section was just <laughs> laughing. Like a, honestly, what, like what a hyena, pretty much. <laughs> Watkins um, yeah. do, do you know what? Fair play to, to Fair Play to Villa and, and Watkins. They they you know they really played well. I, I only saw the highlights, but crikey, Arsenal are in some shape, aren't they? My goodness. <laughs> um, but but that's not to take anything away from Villa. They they've actually uh, had a, a bit of a rip road and start to the season. So you know, fair play to them. They've done really well. Um, I don't think my uh, my having to wear an Arsenal top and a Celtic uh, um, hat are in any kind of danger at the end of the season, in all honesty, because I can't see even trouble in the top four. Uh, and if they do, I'll happily wear that hat. Not really, by the way. Totally not really. But um, <laughs> I heard the use but of the yeah, word I heard the use of the word uh, happily there, which I don't think is quite the case. Yeah, happily in the not really sense of the word Steve, to be honest with you. Uh, yeah. Like, you know, yeah, like, oh, oh, yeah, on the yeah, Ollie Watkins situation. Um, we, uh, Ollie has six Premier League goals now. Um, yeah. For a guy who wasn't even, you know, at the team, pretty much up until then, almost end of transfer window, that's a pretty spectacular uh, impact he's made. But he's, got same, he's got the same number of goals as Callum Wilson, and obviously Wilson was signed nice and early, got yeah. a bit of a pre-season with Newcastle, yeah. had a chance to bed in. So you know, Watkins has been a tremendous asset, hasn't he? Yeah, I think hasn't he's been an really. outstanding signing. I mean, Villa seven games played, five wins. That's 
can't argue with that, can you? And that includes 3-0 at the Emirates and 7-2 over Liverpool. You know what I mean? That's, yeah. <laughs> that's quite what, a start. What was the score again? What, what was the score against, <laughs> against Liverpool? Was it, was it 7-2? I'm not sure. Right? I'm not sure. <laughs> was it 7-2, <laughs> was, was, was it? I think I think just to put something in perspective no, there, Luke. We missed that episode, by the way. We missed that one. Just, just, just to put something in perspective <laughs> there for you, Luke. Um, Ollie Watkins has six league goals. Um, who's Chelsea's top scorer this season? <laughs> <laughs> did, did, he cost, did he cost as much as Ollie Watkins? Or did he cost hey, way, way more? Hey, listen, I don't care. As long as, we win, as long as we win games, it doesn't matter who scores goals. Honestly, it does not matter. As long as we keep winning games. That's the main thing. That's the main stat when it comes to it. True, isn't it? True. It is. It is. It is. Anyway, um, moving on. I think we've actually. I'm not going to move over that one. I glossed over that totally. By the way, <laughs> I hope you're impressed. I'm not actually going to move on. I am going to ask a couple of more questions on Arsenal. Steve, Arsenal. You had them top four. They're eleventh. Are you worried? No. I said at the start of the season that Arsenal lacked creativity, but as a unit and as a team, they were a better team this season than they were last year. Um, they had an off day, it's as simple as that. Yeah, you know they looked oh, solid for the rest of the season. They they when they beat United, you know they looked much much more organised. This is what Tet has brought out in them. Every team yeah, gets an off day. I mean, we just mentioned there, and Andy just piped in at the wrong moment there for me to remind him that they got beat seven <laughs> two by Villa. Um, <laughs> yeah, every, every team in the league is going to have an off day this season. City are going to have an off day. Chelsea have already had theirs. They very nearly lost to West Brom, and I have a feeling that that defence will probably slip up again against a team that they're, they're supposed to beat. Um, it's a really topsy-turvy league this season. We're going to see teams that we expect to win week in, week out, get beat. Mm-hmm. Uh, United are getting hammered week in, week out. And with that level of talent there, you know, that there's talk of, of Solskjaer out the door and Pochettino coming in you know, mm-hmm. after the international break. This, this is a topsy-turvy season with no fans and no real home advantage. We're going to see loads more results like this this year. And to be honest, as a neutral, it's fantastic. Yeah, it is. It's quite nice. Andy, though, Arsenal's four losses this season, right? Again, they've come against Liverpool, Manchester City, Leicester, and now Aston Villa. So you've got three of what will eventually most likely be the top six. Um, and then the outlier that is Aston Villa. But if they continue to struggle to beat the top six... Um, and then keep losing games like this against Aston Villa. That's not progress, is it? That's exactly the point I was making three weeks ago, is that, yes, Arsenal will look good at times, but when they play against the big teams, they play against teams who have got better teams on paper, they, they, they just struggle. And then they beat Man U, but they beat one of the worst... Man, one of the, is it the worst start ever in Premier League history for Man U? I think they're playing an awful Man U team when they, when they did win. Albeit, I think Thomas Partey is a good signing. He's impressed me mm-hmm. when I have seen him play. I still think they need to, for me, I'm not convinced for Arsenal until they beat a team like us, like Man City, like Chelsea, until they beat those kind of teams, that they're never going to finish higher than sevens or sixths. So, um, yeah, for me, I mean, Villa, going back to Villa, I think they've really surprised me. I, I had them finishing 18th, but I think yeah. they're going to finish way higher than that. I think um, I think they've really built on that, that end-of-season sort of survival bid they did. I think they've really sort of... I think these players did a great job. I think Jack Reedish is getting better and better. I think Watkins has been a great signing. 
I think John McGinn is, is as good as ever. Um, so I think, yeah, and even I think even the goalkeeper's been, been a good signing as well. They finally got the goalkeeping situation mm-hmm. right as well. Mm-hmm. I think that really mm-hmm. has made an impact. So I think, yeah, I think certainly Villa has to I think Arsenal, yeah, they, yeah, they look good against Man U. Uh, by the way, Bamyang, if you're listening to Bamyang, um, you're, you're my FPL team. You've got one week left to get me some points, or you're going out. You've got one more week left oh, to get me I'll pull the trigger. I've already pulled the trigger. Ultimatum for Mandy. I've already pulled the trigger, mate. Yeah, I think if, if one more week from him, he doesn't score, he's going out my team. But I think, um, certainly if Luke, if you do lose that bet, I think we'll have to play the laughing policeman behind you wearing that Celtic shirt. Cause <laughs> oh, do you know what? Very, very famous last words. Part. Absolutely right. dreading that part, honestly. <laughs> but what's interesting That's... is we, we talked earlier about you know Leeds and their gung ho approach. Um, Arsenal's next match is away to Leeds. Mm. That's now that's going to be interesting. Can, can Arteta get the thriller. team kind of organised and and you know arranged you know arranged well and set up against that three 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 one, or are Leeds just going to go out there and do what Villa did and just attack from the off and and see if Arsenal can can hold. As Arsenal going forward in that game against Villa, they had plenty of possession, but they, they were toothless. They don't have a, a really good creative midfielder in there to supply um, Obama Yang and, and Lacazette and everything yep. else. They rely on hard work from guys like Partey and, and Willock and whoever else is in the centre. Um, Comes back to what we said earlier this year, Stevie. Yeah, they, they don't. Yeah, they're, right. a great, they're a good team, they're a good unit, and they're a better unit for me this season than they were last year, but that they need creativity. Uh, not as good as they were last year, though, to be honest. I don't think that. But then they've got, um, in the sort of creativity thing, it's uh, it's quite interesting as well because they're currently paying Mesut Ozil 300 grand a week to sit on his backside and play Fortnite. So, um, yeah. What a life for him. Well, no, they're, they're playing Mesut Ozil 299,000 a week because that other 1,000 a week is going to Gunnosaurus. <laughs> <laughs> Respect, respect for the mascot. Yeah, Arsenal's next three games: Leeds away, Wolves at home, North London derby away. That's not an easy three fixtures, and um, they don't stop. They don't pick up a few points in them. They're going to be languishing bottom half of the table around about Christmas. The Christmas fixture list isn't even isn't particularly good either. On the run up to Christmas, um, they've got Everton away, and then they've got Chelsea at home on Boxing Day. So they've got some big games coming up, and if they don't start winning them, they are going to be sitting in the bottom half of the table at Christmas. So um, it's it's a peculiar situation, and uh, yeah, it's going to be tough for Arsenal. All right, moving on to our last question, finally, and this time I mean it. It's another week, and it's another win for Jose Mourinho's Tottenham Hotspurs. That is three wins on the bounce and no loss since opening day in the Premier League. Andy, this was your question, so I'll ask it to you. Are the serious title contenders? 100%. I mean, I said a few weeks ago that I thought they were potential contenders, and nothing's changed my mind since. I think that, with again, I mentioned before about the league being so open. I think, again, this will be another factor if they do well. But they got the best sort of the combined goals duo in Kane and Son. I mean, I think. Is Son top goal scorer and Kane the top assister? I think it was a few, mm-hmm. that was a stat a few weeks ago. And I think yeah. Kane's joint top um, scorer in the league. Okay, um, Son is Kane's sec- joint second. Son, yeah. yeah. Right, yeah. So I think that just even f- further sort of defies my point. I think 
Um, obviously, they got Bale coming in now, and I think even though I don't think he's a player he was, I think if they can get him half as good as he was when he was last playing a Spurs shirt uh, five, six years ago, I think that attack could be one of the best in the league. And I think uh, Ndombele's really improved this season. I think uh, Doherty's getting better as well for that Spurs side. And I think Regalon's been a good signing, a left-back. I think overall, they, they just look really good going forward. I think defensively, if, if you exclude the West Ham game, they've been really good defensively as well. Um, and I think that obviously they've got a manager who's got experience, even though he is obviously slightly outdated tactics compared to what they were 10 years ago. But I think he's still got experience of winning the Premier League. Um, and I think certainly they are contenders for me. Um, I've got no doubt about that. Um, I think they will be top finish, top four. I think for me, that is something I'm really confident on. But I do think, yeah, I think this, this is their chance. I think this is their one chance to win. Well, I think they can still win the FA Cup um, or maybe even Europa League. But I think this is, this is their real chance of winning a trophy mm-hmm. this season. I think whether that's Premier League, mm-hmm. albeit we are only in two months in. So I think we do have to give a bit more time for sort of games to happen. Uh, but I think certainly they're looking really good going forward. And I think... Um, they really are, for me, really are contender. And I think they are the, ne- the most likely team, apart from as a matter to, to win the league. I think Leicester have been good as well. But I think, for me, Spurs, I think Spurs can win it. I really do. Yeah. I mean, they have got, um, basically, the the acid test coming up. Uh, the next three fixtures are Manchester City, Chelsea and Arsenal. And if they can... Mm. If they can pick some points up in those games, if they can say, if they can pick up anything more than five points from those three games, then um, I think you have to start considering them, really, don't you, Steve? Yeah, and one of the things we've always said about Spurs is when you've got Son and you've got Kane and one of them goes down, you look to the rest of the squad and say, where are the goals coming from? Whereas you look at them this season, you say, oh, Son or Kane goes down, Bale's there, Moura's there, Lucelso's there. Lamella's there. There's so much attacking talent in that squad. Um, and we, we've talked, we talked earlier about some squads just not having the, the right level of backup. But Levy has backed his manager. He's gone out in the market. He's bought the players he wants. Regulon was an excellent addition at left back. Um, you know, you've got a dependable keeper in Lloris. You've got, you know, some, some good centre-backs. Eric Dyer's impressed at centre-back. Um Eric Dyer is one of those players that I'm never quite sure what his natural position is. Is he a defensive mid? Is he a holding mid? Is he a centre-back? And when he plays for England, he's the same. Um, but I, th- I think he's a CDM, but he has apparently said this season that he wants to be a centre-back. So, well, To be go. honest, there's plenty of opportunity there. I, um, uh, to do, who's the Colombian centre-back? Davison. Davison uh, Sanchez. 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 Mm-hmm. He's, he's on his day. He's a wonderful player. Uh, but on, when he's off his day, he's Dejan Lovren. Um, and, <laughs> <it's, it's>, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, Aldevira is, is solid and dependable. But yeah, Dyer has the opportunity to make himself that second centre back there alongside Aldevira. And it's just, it's a good squad this season with a lot of depth in every position. And to be honest, I agree with Andy. I think they're very, very much contenders for the title. I think we're in a season where. I, I don't think City are nearly as strong as people think. Um, I think Liverpool, without Van Dijk, look vulnerable. Uh, and when you've got that and you throw into the mix a, a Spurs team that looks super organised, this could be their best chance to win the title since they finished second to Leicester. Yeah, uh, I was actually going to bring that up as well. I mean, if you actually look mm-hmm. at the Premier League table, you've got traditional top six sides in the bottom half. 
Um, you've got teams that have no right being near the top of the league at the top of the league. Um, and you've got Leicester in the middle of November currently sitting atop the Premier League table. So it is starting to look very, 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 very much like 2015-16, which if it does, if it continues that way, I would be, I'm very much up for. Um, I guess it's no coincidence anymore that it's uh, Leicester City who sit in that position again. Anyway, that is all we've got time for, because I do think this is now officially our longest episode ever. Um, <laughs> I, just, I just want to put one more thing in here if you wrap up, right? We talked earlier about uh, Palace versus Leeds. Who wants to take a guess at what the combined age of the managers was in that game? Oh, God. Palace versus Leeds. I'm yeah. going to guess... Hodgson and 131. 131? 153. 153, I'm going to say, mate. Andy? 145. Uh, okay, so Luke and Andy are actually equally... Distance is 138 years old. Uh, Bielsa okay, is 65. Okay. Hodgson is 73. Who, I, thought who Bielsa, I, I thought Bielsa was in his 70s. I, I thought he was older than that as well. Yeah. yeah, it's like one of those you know, our forward-thinking modern Premier League, and you got two old white guys in charge of teams. <laughs> <laughs> and Steve Bruce, who is literally a dinosaur. Anyway. <laughs> That is now all we've got time for. Uh, be sure to tune in again next week when we will be recording a hairdryer special, which will be the top 10 Premier League goals of all time. Plenty of debate there and probably another two-hour episode. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you then. Bye.